very good evening to you. Welcome to Wednesday's Richie Allen Show, live from Salford in the northwest of the UK. BBG Towers, in fact. Hope is all is well with you. It's five o'clock here. It's drive time. I have two wonderful guests lined up for you between now and 7 p.m. this evening. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. Mm, be Jesus. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, the former BBC journalist and radio broadcaster Tony Gosling will join me this hour to give me his take on what is really going on globally. What's going on around the Israel-Palestine conflict? Because Tony doesn't reckon that I really understand what's going on. So he's going to educate me, apparently. Love Tony, can't wait to hear from him. He'll be with me a little bit later on this half hour, Tony Gosling. And then we're off to a Switzerland, second air, Dr. Thomas Binder, the Swiss cardiologist, incredibly brave human being, back on the programme for the first time in quite a while. We'll catch up with Thomas and what he is doing. What has he got going on at the moment? Thomas Binder, Dr. Thomas in R2. That is Wednesday's programme. If you'd like to talk to me, do so via the website richieallen.co.uk. Leave a message via the app, download it from the App Store or Google Play. That's how you do it then. Wonderful, yeah. So Tony then will have his say on what's happening in Gaza. We'll get into that with him. This our feckin' doctors, right? Feckin' doctors. I told you something a few months ago. I do sometimes share some personal information. Uh, a, a nurse phoned me a few months ago. A nurse phoned me and said, come and see me. I got very excited, only to, to arrive. And she's like a 1940s matron from an Enid Blyton book. Like 50-ish, 18 stone and hairs on her chin. You're no oil painting, Baldy. Fair enough, I know I'm not, right? Anyway, any port in a storm, I suppose. So I turned up to Matron and she said, we want to change your inhaler from Ventolin to Salamol. We need your permission. This is important, bear with me. I use an inhaler. Never smoked a cigarette in my life. I'm very fit. As you know, if you see my pictures, I'm beautiful. I run five miles a day. But I use an inhaler. I developed adult asthma. And I only use one every six or seven weeks, okay? She said, this is months ago now. We'd like your permission to change the inhaler. Now, the medicine is salbutamol. Ventolin and Salamol are brand names. So would you give up the Ventolin for the Salamol, says Matron. No, says I. She says, Salamol is better for the environment, says Matron. And I said, no, it's shite. It's absolutely shite. You see, Ventolin, when you compress the canister, you get this. Right? With Salamol, which is inferior, you press the canister and it goes like that. It's like me after a few beers on a Friday, right? Gone. No chance. It's useless. She said, no, it's better for the environment, for the climate change, but we have to ask your permission. No, says I. Fair enough, she says. All we can do is ask. That was Hattie Jakes speaking to me, Hattie Jakes, back a few months ago. All right. So a few weeks ago, got to the pharmacy to pick up the inhaler, paid for it. On the way out, I opened the bag. It was the shitty Salamol. Marched over to the doctor's office and said, what did I tell you? What did I tell you, says I? Who gave you permission? 
We had a bit of a row. I was advised again about the climate change, and they changed it back to the Ventolin, which goes tsh, right instead of pff, like this. So they changed it back. Now I was due to have an inhaler last week. No sign of it coming. No sign of it. Rang the pharmacy today. Where's me Ventolin? We requested it, says the pharmacist, and they sent Salamol. We didn't say anything because we're a bit scared of you. This is the lovely Karen who works in the pharmacy. We're a bit scared of you, and so are they, she says. I said, why would you be scared of me? Anyway, I says, are they deaf or stupid or both? She says, you better give them a ring. So I rang the nurse, different nurse, older than Hattie Jakes, with hair on her top lip as well as her chin. What's going on, love? How many times do I have to tell this surgery? It's the environment, she says. It's the environment. There's too much CFC gases in the Ventolin. You're killing the planet with your asthma. I'm coming around, I said. No, 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 she said. I'll send you a Ventolin script and a note that it shouldn't be changed again. She blamed the doctor at the practice, who was a female doctor, who must be out marching with Extinction Rebellion at the weekends. Fook me. Fook me sideways. It's mad stuff, isn't it? It's infiltrating everything. There's a climate change madness. Can't even get an inhaler that works. Anyway, so I'll, I'll, I'll presumably get to my Ventolin tomorrow before I run out of oxygen and die. You don't want that to happen, do you? Okay. Now, the leader of the opposition, Keir Starmer, is running around like a blue arse fly. Has anybody ever seen a blue arse fly? He's visiting synagogues to say, We, Labour, we stand with Israel no matter what you do. No matter how many Palestinians you murder, we stand with you. We stand with you. But now he's running around mosques to say, I love Muslims too, and I'm sorry if I gave the impression that Israel could commit war crimes whenever it feels like in Gaza. So please vote for me, Muslims. What a degenerate, Keir Starmer. There's more spine in the jellyfish. And what about Antonio Guterres, the UN United Nations Secretary General? Israel wants him gone. They want him out of there, out of a job, to resign. Why? What did he say? Here's what he said, Antonio Guterres. It is important to also recognize the attacks by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum. The Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation. They have seen their land steadily devoured by settlements and plagued by violence. Their economy stifled, their people displaced, and their homes demolished. Their hopes for a political solution to their plight have been vanishing. But the grievances of the Palestinian people cannot justify the appalling attacks by Hamas, and those appalling attacks cannot justify the collective punishment of the Palestinian people. Now, dear listeners, that sounded pretty benign to me. In fact, it sounded pretty reasonable. It sounded very diplomatic, that. Not according to the Israelis. Here's the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations. His name is Gilad Erdan. God, he's not happy at all. And the SG is blaming the victim? You are blaming Israel? He didn't blame Israel at all, did he? This is a pure blood libel. This is a blood libel. This is a pure blood libel. And I think that the Secretary General must resign. Must resign. He hasn't resigned just yet. We'll get the thoughts of former BBC journalist Tony Gosling a bit later on. More on this with tea. Well, well, just briefly staying with it, an Irish woman from, where is she from now? Clondalkin in southwest Dublin, lovely place, has been sacked by Wix. You know Wix, W-I-X. I think it builds websites, does it, Wix? It's a tech company. 
this Irish woman was sacked because she put some stuff on social media declaring Israel to be a terrorist state. Now, she'd worked for them for nearly five years and was fired on Monday, unceremoniously fired. Security, take this girl to her desk, watch her as she packs, and then see her to the front door. The Irish Times says Wix employs about 500 people in Dublin and Courtney Carey, great name, Courtney Carey, who's 26, from Clondalkin in southwest Dublin, was fired. Now, this one is a bit, this one is a bit touchy, this, because while we absolutely believe in the rights of people to say what it is they think on any subject at any time, apparently this woman had been asked once or twice by the company to cool it a bit with the social media postings, seeing as it's an Israeli company and nearly all of the employees are in Israel. So maybe lighten up on the old social media posts then. That's what they're saying now. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's what they're saying. But um, she's taking it to a tribunal. She was fired. A company president called Nir Zohar said we have decided to part ways with Courtney because he'd been bombarded with messages from Israeli employees and others criticising these social media posts. Some staff in Israel had lost friends and family members and they weren't too thrilled to be going on social media seeing Courtney Carey declaring Israel to be a terrorist state. He said, Wix would never try to limit anyone's political views, but we have strong values when it comes to team spirit, partnership and friendship. There you are. He could have solved this pretty easily. He could have organised a company paintball outing and the Israeli staff could have paintballed the bejesus out of Courtney Carey. Paintballed the living bejesus out of her. Shut up about Israel. And she could have kept her job. It's 10 minutes past the hour. Remember Gillian Keegan, the UK Education Secretary, saying that parents in this country should be shown teaching materials around sex education, if parents request it. Now, you'll know we talked about this yesterday as well, that some schools are saying to parents, we'd love to share with you the teaching material, but we have been provided this by a third party. And they're warning us not to infringe on their intellectual property. You can't be sharing it without their permission. But anyway, Gillian Keegan is saying, enough of this now, it should be shown to parents. I thought Joanne Nadler, who worked for the BBC at one time, she's a journalist, Joanne Radler, I thought she spoke pretty eloquently on this subject today on Times Radio. What we've seen over recent years is a kind of, extension of what most people consider to be sex education into something far broader that seems in some cases not all but in some cases actually to sort of constitute some kind of social conditioning um, and you know introducing ideas into the curriculum uh, which some people not all but mm. some people would find quite controversial mm. and uh, this seems to be evidence i've certainly seen it in uh, anecdotally and also more widespread in the mm. research that i've done uh, that some of these concepts are not being um are not being discussed openly they're, they're merely being presented mm. as fact for instance on on this issue of of uh, gender stereotyping not so long ago if uh, you'd gone into a school and and the school had said to you look we're, we're interested in discussing gender stereotyping or gender issues with with our pupils. I think most parents would have said, yeah, there's something very positive in examining whether or not men and women, girls and boys are being constrained by social expectations of what's suitable for them um, when they leave school. 
Um, but that seems to have morphed without any real discussion amongst parents into something which actually suggests not so much that, that children should be wary of being stereotyped as a result of their sex, but they can actually change their sex if they want to. Mm. Now, that seems to me to be a qualitative difference in how we consider gender and how it's taught in schools. Yes, that is a qualitative difference, all right. It's a thorny legal issue, all right. You can't change your sex spontaneously. You just can't. Hi to Anne, good evening Anne, who says exactly the same thing happened with my daughter, with her Ventolin. The other one did nothing for her, only Ventolin works for her asthma. That's right Anne, because you get it from the Ventolin, from the aspirator. What do they call it in America? They have a mad name for it. We say inhaler. In Spain they say inhalador. Uh, in America they say aspirator, I think. That's right. The other one is crap. But apparently the Ventolin, dear listener, is uh, not good for the environment. Thank you, Anne. Good evening to Tim. Hi, Tim. Hi to David Keane. Looking forward to hearing a bit of Tony Gosling. Rich said, whilst looking down in the dumps today, watching the vaccinated sheep, I met a lad in the gym called um, Wayne. T- totally awake. He keeps me... What? Oh, yeah, very good, very good. Rich, I made an absolute balls of reading out your message. You were in, you were in the dumps today, watching vaccinated sheep. You met a lad in the gym. His name is Wayne. He's totally awake, keeps you positive, and you've told him about the Richie Allen show. Good man, Rich. The check will be in the post. Royalties. Terry says it's clear Iran will be taken out, but if it is attached, attacked even or bombed, Russia will become involved. The Americans will see many deaths and possibly the destruction of Israel. Um, he says, perhaps Ukraine is where Jewish people will end up. That's Terry. Terry, I, 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 I wouldn't put a lot of faith in your sooth saying, Terry. I wouldn't put a lot of faith in your predictions. I'm not sure that's going to happen. I don't see Iran being wiped out anytime soon. But then again, what do I know? Isabel asks a pertinent question. Good evening. She says, I wonder if the doctors are on bonuses for selling the shitty inhalers instead of the usual ones. Well, maybe, maybe not. I've, I've actually got, I've dug deep into this because this is important. This is more important now than the Great Reset now or any of that or, or Fauci. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I downloaded some stuff from, a, from an asthma website. As of earlier this year, they've been, this is asthma something UK, they've been saying, find out how to change to a lower carbon inhaler. Find out about changing to a, low, a lower carbon inhaler. And it tells you that the Ventolin Evo inhaler, the one we use, the one that goes, right, that this one has a much higher carbon footprint than Salamol. Although Salamol still contains greenhouse gases, just not as many as Ventolin. I'm sticking to my guns like John Bon Jovi sang on New Jersey. Sticking to my guns until until I can't get the Ventolin anymore, until they ban it. They might ban it. Quarter past the hour. Keep those messages and comments coming in between now and 7 o'clock. Dr. Thomas Binder on the programme later on. Uh, before that, Tony Gosling. He'll be with me soon. Les says, Richie, my beloved 14-year-old son got a letter from the NHS inviting him to get his COVID shot, he's never had one. Hang on, Les. Is the NHS writing to children? Are they not writing to you as the parent and your wife or your partner? Anyway, um, he's never had one. 
but received a letter. It states, the letter, COVID-19 vaccination has a proven safety record. It gives better protection than any immunity gained from a previous infection. It's important your child gets the protection they need because viruses change. Les asks a very good question. My question, says Les, is if the virus changes, how does this vaccine work as it's the old vaccine from two years ago? Search me, Les. I have no idea. I would say it is bull spit. And no child should be taking a COVID jab with what we know now. No, no child should have taken one in the beginning. With what we know now about these jabs, every man, woman and child on planet Earth should give them a wide berth and tell everybody else. It's not as if there are not about three to 400 certifiable expert men and women from Ivy League universities telling you these jabs are deadly. Potentially deadly. They won't be deadly for everybody, but they're deadly for many people. This we know to be true. Where am I going now? Having to Scooby-Doo. Oh yeah, the COVID inquiry, speaking of COVID, is continuing. Not at a pace, it's going at a snail's pace. At Prime Minister's questions this afternoon, the Prime Minister himself, Rishi Sunak, was asked this question by Labour's Lillian Greenwood. What did Lillian Greenwood ask Sunak? It's important that the COVID inquiry has all the relevant documents. That's what the public including thousands of bereaved families, expect and deserve. But despite being a self-described tech bro, the Prime Minister has been unable to locate and provide his WhatsApp messages to the inquiry. Does he agree that devices should be handed over to experts to retrieve this information? Mr Speaker, both the Government and I have fully cooperated to provide tens of thousands of documents to the COVID inquiry and I look forward to giving evidence later this year. Yeah, I'm sure he looks forward to giving evidence later this year. Sunak will give evidence and he will sit there and crow triumphantly about his furlough scheme and say, I kept people, I kept people above, I kept people afloat financially with my furlough scheme when the Prime Minister was telling them to close their businesses and all of that. It's a massive whitewash, this. It'll ultimately find that Boris Johnson was at fault for everything, that we should have locked down sooner, and we should have made the jabs even quicker. (laughs) Imagine it concludes with that. I don't think it'll tell us we should have had the jabs quicker, because God knows we had the jabs at the speed of light, didn't we? Miraculously, eh? Something that normally takes 10 years. And you know, I said to a lady recently, a nice lady, who wrote me an email, and said her daughter had uh, put her onto the programme, which she found mildly amusing, but um, she said um, there's too much conjecture presented as fact in the programme. And I smarted a little bit, I smarted a little bit. I didn't really smart, I smarted. And I'm like, well, no, that's not fair, because when I'm dealing in conjecture, I always say it's conjecture. But she made the point about the, the jabs. One of the things that got on her nerves was my assertion that the jabs couldn't possibly be safe, or they couldn't be known. It couldn't be known that they were safe. So I wrote back to the lady, very nicely, and I said, look, and I explained why, 10 years, blah, blah, blah. And I said, like pandemics, you know pandemics? It's it's difficult in an email, you can't have a conversation back and forth. But I said, you had pandemics about 12, 13 years ago. Pandemics went through the usual hoops for a jab, 10 years, right? 
with uh, allegedly with proper safety studies, allegedly, and then many people came down with narcolepsy after receiving pandemics for swine flu, which they were never likely to get in any case. They were never likely to come down with, uh, with swine flu. But the Egypts went and took pandemics, and then they were falling asleep every 10 minutes. Like that character, Janice's boyfriend. Janice's boyfriend in The Sopranos, remember? That guy, the religious guy just falling asleep in the middle of his dinner. What's happening to Brian? Well, he took that pandemics, didn't he? I just read about it in The Times. Is that why he's falling asleep every 10 minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did he take it? He was worried about swine flu. Yeah, Brian's an idiot. He deserves it. No, he doesn't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. You know, mad times we live in, eh? Mad times. Good evening to Amy. Thank you very much, Amy. I will check the emails for the show later on. She sent me something which I might find interesting, a potential guest. Thank you very much. Really appreciate all of that. Reach out to me via richieallen.co.uk. There is an app for the programme too. Hi to Bridget, who says, Richie, Benzie Sanders. Is it Benji or Benzie of the IDF? He was interviewed on today's Radio 4 World at 1. I thought his opinion was well worth hearing. Bridget, I didn't catch at the BBC World at 1 on Radio 4 today. Would you mind coming back to me and letting me know what exactly he said? Give us the gist of it. Les came back, by the way, to confirm that the letter was addressed to the parent or guardian of his 14-year-old boy. Thank you, Les. I thought that would have been the case. Hi to Christine, who says, Esther McVeigh MP got away with a very interesting statement in Parliament today. It's on YouTube. She quoted the guidance on pharmaceutical advertising in the UK and how they are not allowed to say safe and effective. I was surprised the speaker didn't interject to stop her. Thank you, Christine. I'll definitely go looking for that. And Sarah says, Richie, I think the NHS deems children are Gillick competent at the age of 13. This is why they send letters to kids now. Thank you, Sarah. They might send letters to some children, but in this case, they did address it to Les and Les, wife or partner. You're with the Richie Allen Show Wednesday's programme. Winter's on its way and so are colds, flu and other respiratory illness. <laughs> a robust immune system and vitamin D3 are your weapons in the fight to keep healthy when things get chilly. Immunex 365 vitamin capsules from NutraHealth 365 combine effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2 as well as zinc and quercetin to give your body that winter boost at just two capsules a day. Plus, for your peace of mind, all NutraHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Visit NutraHealth365.com now and get winter ready. Yeah, this week the programme sponsored by NutraHealth365.com Get on the website, check them out, get yourself ready. Give your immune system a bit of protection for this coming winter. 22 and a half minutes past the air. Tony Gosling standing by in the wings. Dr. Thomas Binder will be joining me in hour two. I'm Richie Allen do where you can and I don't ask you very often support the independent media it's important ask not what the BBG can do for you but what you can do for the BBG support the Richie Allen show now at richieallen.co.uk and it's time for a bit of right said Fred on the Richie Allen show before we get Tony on we love the lads don't we absolutely Fred and Richard Right, said Fred, deeply dippy on the Richie Allen Show, 25 and a half minutes past the hour. Antonio Gutierrez, the UN Secretary General, mildly, in my opinion, in this reporter's opinion, 
uh, giving some context to the region, to what's gone on in the region for 75 years. The Israelis calling for his head. Thousands have died in Gaza, obviously. 2,300 children, if you believe, the health authority in Gaza, which some say is controlled by Hamas. It's terrible. It's a bloodbath. What happened in Israel, terrible too. But my next guest, well, my guest this hour, terrific former BBC journalist, excellent broadcaster, not the BCFM politics show in Bristol. He believes there's something much bigger going on and he's here to tell us about that. Good evening and welcome back, Tony Gosling. Hi, Richie. Well, I've just been thinking about... Um, he's, I'm friends with him on Facebook. Uh, he's a guy called Tim Thwellin. I never knew him at the BBC, but during the first Gulf War, I remember that he and several other journalists were based out in the Middle East. Actually, I think it was in Beirut at offices which were armour-plated called Memo. Uh, I think it was stood for Middle East uh, Media Operation or something like that. And uh, what we were getting uh, back in 1990s, as going back a while, was loads of historical context. Now, you know, the, the BBC have done, had a little bit of an attempt to do that. In fact, I was listening listening to them last night and they had somebody who was just talking about up to the Second World War, which was rather pointless, it seemed to me, because most of the interesting stuff happened during the Second World War in the creation of the State of Israel. And of course, he would never go into the involvement of people like Nelson Rockefeller and Victor Rothschild in creating that State of Israel, which I can talk about if you want. But, um, you know, the, the, these contextual pieces are what journalism is really all about. And we're seeing almost nothing at the moment. We're seeing uh, bun fights and squabbles uh, with accusations being made at the UN, the UN Secretary General being forced to respond to the Israelis, uh, calling for his resignation. Um, And, you know, so we're not really getting any, I think, very, very little. I'm seeing very, very little proper journalism about the analysis, the deep analysis of what's going on and what the agendas might be. A lot of people saying, oh, well, this is just the Israelis going crazy. They do this from time to time. It's mad there. But no, I don't agree with that. I think there's a much you know, wider agenda behind a lot of this. And there are reasons why the Israelis don't care about what the world thinks. They're actually they're on a kind of um, uh, road to sort of they want to provoke. And this is more about the response that it, that you get they're getting around the world they're getting their desired response which is fueling hatred and actually it's a massive recruiting tool for hamas and and i think they understand that at the, the deepest level meaning what tony meaning that what happened in in southern israel on the 7th of october that israel has taken that and is running with it now is responding in the way that it is responding because it wants to create this furore of hatred and bitterness around the world, uh, division. Some say they want to drag Iran into some sort of conflict. They want to get Hezbollah involved. What about those who say that this is Israel's final push to take Gaza um, and to take what is left of Palestine once and for all? Do you have any sympathy with that point of view? Well, I, I, I mean, yes, it is. You know, I, th- I think there's more to it j- than just this land grab. I mean, what about Northern Ireland? We were doing exactly the same in Northern Ireland. The British intelligence services were aiding uh, the UVF and the UFF uh, in in targeting, in, in a lot of the targeting of, and sectarian killings. We now know this. This has slowly been coming out uh, over the last few decades. 
Uh, and this, you have to look at this and say, well, hang on, if the uh, British state through MI5 is doing this kind of activity, what is the point of it? Because you're just making the conflict worse. And I, and I think that, that that's what's going on, I think, over in Israel. It's more about just taking the land in Gaza. Obviously, the the Israelis are quite aware that if they send their ground troops into Gaza, then they may, they may kick off a much wider war. Uh, and it might be simply this, Richie, that every few years they do this thing they call mowing the lawn, which is just to reduce the population of Gaza. It's a sort of blood sacrifice, really, because they know, and the West Bank, obviously, because they know uh, that the demographics, if they if they leave the Palestinians alone, uh, because of their horrendous conditions, um, at largely, and their beliefs of various sorts, that they're it's a bit like Northern Ireland with the Catholics, that they will have more kids and uh, they will start overtaking uh, the Zionists or the Jewish population. And so they, th- this is a very brutal way of looking at it. But uh, I think that's what they want to do. They just want to reduce the population. They want to scare everybody into thinking that they're going to go too far. Uh, but I don't think they really want to have a war with Lebanon and Syria. Um, well, well, I mean, you know, I may be wrong. They may decide this is the time to create a war which actually threatens the existence of Israel, and therefore the Americans would come running to their rescue. Uh, so, I mean, that, that certainly that's the way I see it. And I'm trying to pick up on, you know, trying yeah. to now to do some of the analysis that was so useful for me when I was working at the BBC back in the 1990s and covering the first Gulf War and trying to understand what is the geopolitics and almost the sort of spiritual politics of the area. Because it's quite obvious to me, the Israelis are embarked on a plan to try and create a religious war. It's based around the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. They want to demolish that mosque and therefore actually kick off uh, a war between this fake version of Judaism that they call Zionism or certainly the Likud party and um, and uh, with the Islamic states and Muslim states that are surrounding them. This is exactly what people were worried about, uh, the creation of the state of Israel in 1948. Uh, they were saying, well, you know, and even in the Balfour Declaration, they said that this must come, not come at the expense of the local population. Well, of course, once they've got their state and their army, uh, that was all just forgotten about, and uh, and they've been uh, killing uh, Palestinians and stealing their land ever since. What about some Jewish people listening to this might say your characterization of it as mowing the lawn, and you said it's a blood sacrifice. Jews listening to this might say, Tony Gosling, that's a blood libel. Um, they're defending themselves, they might say. Whatever about the historical context, and I obviously will see eye to eye with you on much of that, the fact is Jewish people will say they went into southern Israel, they did some unspeakable things there. What did they expect would happen? Israel was bound to retaliate. And it's, well, it's wrong yeah. to, to criticise uh, that. Yeah, well, look, uh, this is far more than that, isn't it, though? The, 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 the number of um, innocent um, civilians, Palestinian civilians that are being killed is far, far, is, you know, the result of it is going to be recruitment to Hamas. People are going to be, I mean, this is what I was sort of referencing Northern yeah. Ireland, really, is that the result of the British uh, uh, atrocities um, working along with the uh, with the um, loyalist terrorist groups was an enormous recruitment tool for the IRA. So when people saw these things going on, understandably, they said, well, we need to fight back. We can't allow this to carry on. And so this is exactly what's going on right around the Arab world, and particularly, of course, in uh, West Bank and Gaza, is it's turning people who uh, for, for maybe decades have been moderates and who are saying, well, actually, look, we need to just do deals with the Israelis. We need to get along with them. 
uh, they're now thinking to themselves, well, the Israelis won't, we, it, there's no point, and in, 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 and so we need to pick up arms. And this is the result of the policies that Israel is going out. When you talk about blood libel, I mean, I don't quite understand what that means. I mean, what we're seeing is we're seeing is the shedding of thousands of lives of uh, many of them children and women of innocent blood by the Israeli Air Force. We're not talking about, you know, confronting them face to face. We're talking about flying over the top with drones and with mostly U.S. jets and just dropping bombs on people and killing them. Uh, and so this whole idea of trying to exterminate Hamas obviously is not working. What's happening is loads of civilians are being killed instead. Uh, and and the, the 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 end result of it is totally counterproductive. Tony, it's this a, guy a massive re- recruiting tool for Hamas. This guy Lerner, uh, forgive me for not remembering his his first name. This guy Lerner, who's from Harrow, who is a spokesperson for the IDF. He's originally from Harrow in London. Uh, he's doing the press pretty much for uh, the IDF. He maintains and has maintained every day, as has former Israeli officials like Mark Regev and others, the IDF is doing all it can to get rid of Hamas and is not deliberately targeting civilians in Gaza. And they say, whether we like to it, whether we like it or not, they say, guys like you and me, because I disagree with them, but they say, whether we like it or not, we can eat our hats because they're there. Hamas deliberately hides. Not only does it hide its foot soldiers, but it hides its weapons in places that are heavily populated by civilians. What else can we do, say the Israelis? What do you say to that? Well, he's lying. He's not targeting Hamas. He's targeting civilians. Uh, and he, you know, they're making out, trying to make some sort of case. I mean, actually, the Israelis lie quite a lot. Uh, they lied. They lied also about whether they got a warning that this attack was happen- going to happen uh, by the Egyptians. That was revealed by a U.S. senator a couple of days after the attack on the seventh of October. So, I think what we're seeing is just. And they also, of course, lied about whether or not they blew up the um, Baptist Al Ali Hospital last week, killing five hundred people. I would say almost all innocent people sheltering in a hospital. Uh, or having been brought to a hospital to uh, have their wounds tended to. Uh, and I thought it was very interesting, the timing of that, just as Sunak and Biden were flying out there. And when they arrived, uh, they were it's almost as if they were being dared to stand on the TV screens, patting Netanyahu on the back for committing that war crime. And then they lied about whether they'd done it or not, even though uh, their official spokespeople actually admitted the uh, attack had been uh, carried out by the Israelis. They then turned around and uh, then they said, oh, no, it wasn't us. It was Hamas and a misfired rocket from Hamas. So they're lying about that, too. I mean, Hamas doesn't have anything that would uh, be such a powerful weapon as to do that. And then, of course, they lie again with making up. They actually did even went to the trouble of recording a fake transcript of uh, so-called uh, Islamic Jihad fighters saying... Yeah, but how do you know it's fake? How do you know it's fake, Chief? proved to be a fake. But by who? And who so proved it was a fake? They're liars, Richie. Yeah, look, I'm not saying they're not. Hang on, hang on. I'm not saying they're not. But look, yeah, I know, by the way, I'm, I'm not going to contradict what you said about Israel, about the IDF initially um, admitting that it was involved in the hospital bombing because in the moments afterwards, there were tweets that went out saying that they were operating in that area. So you're right to say that, right? But I'm still not convinced either way, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But on this um, this transcript at this crazy press conference put together by the IDF where they said we have the proof only 12 hours after the uh, the bomb, why 
I haven't seen any proof that the transcript of the two jihadis having a conversation is fake. Why do you believe that to be fake? Well, it's uh, it was um, analysed over in London, uh, Channel 4 News, and they announced uh, the next evening. They said, oh, well, we've had analysts look at this and the, the accents are wrong, the idioms are wrong, uh, the, uh, the language that's used is wrong for... Uh, the people that they're saying are doing it. So we we are announcing that we think this is just has just been faked up, mocked up. That was on Channel Four News. I didn't now, see that. Know, it, 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 that was and that was a British analysis of that tape uh, from London. Uh, it wasn't you know some, from somewhere else. And and I think you know there there is also the fact that uh, it was tweeted. And I've got the guy's name. If you if you give me a minute, I can find it. But he tweeted that we have just attacked the hospital. Yeah. And then he deleted the tweet. You know, he's the official spokesperson for the IDF. And uh, so I'm afraid the evidence is 100 percent. This is just and it was. And I think the purpose of it was, uh, I mean, it's very perverse. But the idea is to, to tell a big lie. Uh, and then to force Sunak and Biden to stand there on TV saying uh, we we still support the Israelis. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's a psychological. What it's basically the way the mafia do things. What they want to do is they want to bring uh, other people in on their crimes, and so they become implicated too. And of course, Crispin Blunt MP, uh, the Tory, announced last weekend very. Uh, I think wisely that anybody that it supports verbally uh, it from the British government or materially what the Israelis are up to is also guilty of war crimes. Can I just mention an, an honourable and a noble mention for Crispin Blunt? Please correct me if I get the committee wrong. But didn't he head up the Commons Foreign Affairs Select Committee, didn't he? And didn't they? Yeah, I think he was chair He was chair a while ago. And yeah. do you know what they did? They produced a report about seven or eight years ago, a report that said that David Cameron lied through his teeth about the situation in Libya, and so did Barack Obama. This report is in the public domain, and that there should have been no-fly zone there, or, or there should not have been a no-fly zone. This was brilliant. Within weeks, he was gone, and an yeah. arch criminal, an arch thug, Tom Tugendhat, replaced him. I, I'll never forget that. Well, a, a Bilderberger as well. A yeah. Bilderberger I mean, replaced him. The interesting yeah. thing about all this is the total uh, absence of the Labour Party saying absolutely nothing. So it's taking now the Conservatives to be the only critics of the Conservative government, uh, especially on their foreign foreign policy. Uh, but but uh, I mean I I think you know we need to try always try to take a step back from these conflicts because obviously as the UN Secretary General said and a lot of people spend a lot of their time criticising the UN and I do too on occasions you know particularly over the UN organisations which have got no money coming in from the member states but they're getting private funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and often from China. Uh, so they've become owned. These, you know, like, I'm talking about things like the World Health Organization. Uh, but at the UN Security Council, I think he, you know Guterres did an excellent job yesterday. In, uh, I mean, and he was being criticised. I couldn't believe it. I just listening just now on the BBC uh, by the former uh, former um, British ambassador to the UN, uh, Mark Lyle Graham, I think his name is. Uh, saying that he, he oh he, the most controversial thing he said was calling for a ceasefire. This is this would benefit Hamas. How dare he do that? This is very biased for the UN Secretary General to call for a ceasefire. Well, how is it going to benefit Hamas? Of course, at the moment uh, we're, they're in a, a siege situation, 
and a ceasefire is the obvious i mean even a maybe a four or five year old child can see the obvious thing to do is to just stop killing people uh, at the moment it's only really israelis killing palestinians um in retribution uh, for what happened on the 7th. Um, and by the way, a lot of those hostages, uh, uh, it quotes many of those hostages, were actually killed by the IDF, who decided that they, rather than uh, negotiate, that they would just kill all the, the um, captors, the fighters, the uh, the Hamas fighters, and many of the hostages at the same time. Well, where's the proof of this, Tony? I, I haven't seen any proof of that. Well, it's the there's a, a fascinating, well, I think very good... A video from Israeli radio with a lady who was caught in I th- I can't remember the name of the um, uh, of the kibbutz, but uh, she she was saying I'm sure I'm sure your uh, listeners know exactly what I'm talking about. Many of them would have seen this, uh, where it was a uh, there were many people in the kibbutz who had been taken hostage, and and when the IDF turned up on the scene, they just started shooting into the kibbutz, and that she was one of only two people that survived the entire thing. Uh, so she was. She and one other woman survived. All the rest of the hostages were killed. Uh, and she says in this interview, she said many of them were killed by the IDF in the crossfire. So it wasn't just the uh, the um, Hamas people just pointing their guns at the hostages and shooting them dead. Uh, it, you know, there were loads of bullets coming in and killing uh, the hostages. So this is not. It's not fair to say that all the people who were killed, as that we're getting in the media. Uh, on the 7th, were killed by Hamas. They weren't. And, of course, the reason Hamas did this is as an attempt to try and force the Israelis to negotiate. And the Israelis have got this thing called the Hannibal policy, which means they don't want to negotiate, so the poor old hostages are just going to have to be collateral damage. Now, that's one of the reasons why we've seen all these demonstrations in Tel Aviv outside the Defence Ministry, many of which are by the family members of the um, of the people who were taken hostage and have now many of them, have, of course, have been killed by the airstrikes over in Gaza and many were killed by the IDF on the day itself. Let me ask you another question about this, which, which um, might make sense in terms of the gains for the current Israeli administration. Before I do that, you're listening to Tony Gosling. The time is exactly 16 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Uh, Tony is behind the, not the BCFM politics show, Bristol, Fridays at five o'clock. Go to thisweek.org.uk. Check out Bilderberg.org. Former BBC journalist, uh, great guy, been speaking on our shows for years and years. Thank heavens for that. From what I understand, the... The judicial reforms that have gotten Israeli men and women up in arms for months now are can be explained reasonably simply. The Supreme Court in Israel is left-leaning and it wants oversight over what the Israeli government does in terms of crimes against humanity in Palestine. And what Netanyahu's administration, his coalition administration, which is right wing and very far right wing uh, coalition, is they want to water down the powers of the Supreme Court. I think that's a fair way to summarise that. How how might that factor into what has happened in the last two weeks? And and, and, and let me just briefly expand on that, because there, there are those who say that the Israelis knew damn well what was coming on the 7th and didn't intervene and took six hours to do anything because it might have suited the administration, um, you know, fighting this war with the Supreme Court, which wants to curtail um, Netanyahu. What do you make of that theory, Tony? Well, uh, oh, difficult, bit difficult question. I mean, I, I think the, um, is, the Israelis have, 
uh, actually wanted this. I mean, look at look. Okay, so the, on the judicial question of trying to alter the constitution of Israel to give the Supreme Court less power, there's one reason that's going on, and one reason only, and that's because Benjamin Netanyahu's got three cases against him right now of fraud, and he doesn't want to have to go to jail. Uh, as a result of any of that fraud. And so that's why he wants to change the constitution. That's why there's been demonstrations uh, out in Tel Aviv uh, every Saturday this year so far. Uh, Many thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of people uh, uh, coming out on the streets. Uh, The best best, uh, 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 slogan I've seen on a placard is a very simple one. It's crime minister, crime minister, I mean, that's what they're saying in Israel about the guy. Of course, they're also saying many of the Haaretz and other papers over there, including the Jerusalem Post, have been saying that uh, Netanyahu is leading the country into become a dictatorship. Now, those uh, reforms, I believe it was July they went through, finally. Uh, and, of course, there was massive demonstrations in July. But this is an attempt, it seems, to just distract away from all of that and say, well... And, I mean, in fact, by the way, the opinion polls in Israel are saying that something like 60, 70 percent of the population want to see Netanyahu gone now. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, there, there is uh, no there's no support really for his policies. And, and and that's why there's also been so many people demonstrating out on the streets. But, yeah, I mean, he's yeah, the guy's a crook. Uh, he's a dictator. He's spending more of his time trying to hold on to power because he knows that if he doesn't, that the judicial system will, will be sticking handcuffs on him and he'll be in prison for a very long time. Can we just talk about, if we leave exactly what's happening there and kind of flesh it out towards the rest of Europe, French listeners are getting in touch to ask your opinion on the reaction of governments in Europe. And we could even say the government here in the UK how no before you jump in no it's important hang on hang on no before you jump in hang on hang on because there's I haven't finished the question and then you can then you can take the floor then no they're asking look that our governments look like they might be seeking to take advantage of this as well by scaring up stories about how it increases the risk of terrorism here in Europe and how Jewish uh, UK citizens are not are, are not safe anymore. Is that happening in front of our eyes? That governments are taking advantage of it and saying, lovely, chance to take a bit more of your freedom and increase a bit more surveillance on what you're doing and what you're doing when you're online. What do you reckon? Well, that's exactly the sort of point I'm trying to make, is that this is why the Israelis want this. It's not just the Israelis that want this crisis, this kind of religious war. And by the way, it's also Muslims are very much more at danger. We've had a couple of Muslims around the world killed now, so-called as a result uh, of what's going on in uh, in um, Gaza and in Israel. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, this puts more power in the hands of uh, the secret state. Uh, more powers in the hands of the securocrats. And, of course, that's a, a perfectly reasonable motive to make something like this happen. Uh, you know, I think that's that's per- that's perfectly sensible, perfectly reasonable. And, you know, it's a, a normal... I mean, we have to also look at Hamas, Richie. I'm sure you've done this. But Hamas is funded through the... Uh, Israel- from the American money that comes over to Israel, much of it makes its way through Qatar to Hamas. And, and I was amazed to see Haaretz retweeting... Well, I wasn't that amazed because they're pretty good, actually. Uh, the a report that they did uh, two years ago, which showed uh, Netanyahu in a cabinet. Uh, sorry, it wasn't a cabinet meeting. It was a Likud party meeting. Uh, some of his Likud colleagues uh, were criticizing him, saying, why are we funding Hamas? And he had to defend it. He was saying this is the best way 
to undermine the Palestinians, you know, because if we're funding... No, hang on a minute. You're funding Hamas. He actually admitted it. So this idea we want to destroy Hamas, well, I mean, which one is it? Are you going to fund them uh, or are you going to exterminate them? And actually, of course, you're not actually exterminating them at all because they're all hiding in these tunnels, uh, the actual fighters. Uh, and what all you're doing is you're killing the civilians on the top. So you're not really achieving anything. Uh, you know, and I think that this is the other thing is many, many people, of course, are being, you know, brought along as uh, around the world are looking at this and being very, very critical of Israel. So morally, they've completely lost. But I don't think they honestly care about that. They're, they're so unhinged that they really see only from their own point of view. They cannot see anyone else's point of view. It doesn't matter how many people they kill. Uh, they'll still be right in their own eyes. What we've seen it's something you and I discussed when I was doing this type of show in Spain and we talked about it back then you'll remember the great Peter Oborn documentary on Channel 4 Dispatches about the Israeli lobby if anybody is under any illusion as to the extent or the success of the Israeli lobby in this country they've only got to witness how MPs on both sides of that floor in the Commons how they collapse in terror when they're asked to condemn what's going on in Gaza, when they're asked to declare their support for a ceasefire. I tell you what, Tony, there's no hiding it now, is there? Well, the, yeah, the Israel lobby is megally powerful. The Al Jazeera did a brilliant programme on it too. It's good. Thanks for reminding me about the Peter Oborn one. Uh, yeah, it's in, enormously powerful, and what they do is, as an individual speaks out in defence of the Palestinians, as Jeremy Corbyn did... Uh, you know, obviously there are other reasons why they might want to got rid of Corbyn, but I mean that's that was a major part of why he was gotten rid of. Um, Julian Assange too was exposing a lot of crimes that the Israelis, the Americans, uh, and the collaboration, for example, between the ISIS fighters and uh, WikiLeaks was anyway between the ISIS fighters and. Um, uh, and the Americans and the Israelis uh, actually, you know, the, all all this sort of journalism that's being done, which exposes the hypocrisy. I mean, they, they were talking, weren't they, about, oh, this is ISIS, you know. Well, yeah, but you were helping ISIS. You had hospitals where you were, we're you, were um, yeah. you know, you were actually fixing up the ISIS fighters, making them better again, giving them a bit of rest and recuperation and sending them back to, to fight the Syrians. You know, everybody knows this, but it's almost as if this was supposed to never happen. So when you call... Uh, when you call Hamas ISIS, maybe just like you were helping uh, ISIS, you were helping Hamas too. So the idea is to create these two opposing forces, uh, get them to fight like crazy, and, and potentially, you know, you've got a, th a third world war here. You, I'm not kidding. You, what you've got is you've got Hamas um, doing their thing uh, in, in Palestine. You've then got the potential of uh, Hezbollah coming in from Lebanon, uh, it, and then you've also got uh, the the p possible possible um, confrontation with the Syrian Syrian Arab Army over the Golan Heights, the disputed Golan Heights, for example. They could just come charging and say, right, we're having the Golan Heights now after all this messing around. Uh, and then what would happen as soon as you get you know serious problems with the Israelis? And this is what I think is the nub of all this, really, Richie, which is that they don't care if they are really in a in a place with a time where they may not survive you know that that maybe tel aviv is getting bombed the government's been bombed the army is on its last legs etc they don't care because they know that the christian zionists in the united states who believe that israel is god's great gift to mankind and and we have to support it at all costs the americans will come over to their aid and i think this is in a way they're just 
it's almost like a masochistic form of self-harming where they know that, uh, they, that, they, that they, whatever happens, however bad it gets for the Israeli state, the Israeli defense force, etc. Uh, in fact, once it reaches a certain point, the Americans will come to their rescue. And maybe that's they're just waiting for, uh, you know, for the Americans to come charging in over the horizon. And like they did in uh, the Yom Kippur War 50 years ago in 1973, the Americans came over, gave them loads of extra aid, brought soldiers over, etc and saved the Israeli st- well they didn't quite save the Israeli state so I don't think the entire state was threatened but they really should just go back to the borders they were given in 1948 uh, uh, that all the land, other land they've taken has been stolen uh, and is causing the problems we're seeing today Yeah, nothing from Russia interestingly enough, not much anyway little from China um, the Iranians do what the Iranians do which is saber rattling I think, I'm not, I'm not taking sides I'm not criticising them but you get a bit of saber-rattling. And um, you're right, you've got these ships in the Gulf and you, you think, you know, it could all kick off any any moment now. We've only got a couple of minutes, right? So the, 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 the forces are masked on the, on the edge of the prison. Let's not call it a border because it's a joke, it's a prison. So they're, they're masked there. They have been for several days. And this invasion into Gaza hasn't quite happened yet. Why do you think it hasn't quite happened yet? And do you think it will happen? And if it does happen, how bad will uh, it be? Okay, a couple of reasons. I think maybe the whole thing is just uh, a scare tactic. Uh, they may not have any intention of going in there at all, knowing that if they, they kick off a war with Lebanon, that they will lose. Uh, and because the Lebanese have said that they'll come charging in if they go into Gaza. So uh, there is there is that possibility. Uh, but we know we need to, I think, really need to... I, I don't know is the answer. I mean, you know, they could be crazy, as I've said, enough to do something which would threaten the existence of... I mean, this is the the irony of all of this. If you could allow to laugh at it, is they're saying that the actions that the uh, Israeli far-right Israeli government are taking at the moment is actually quite possibly going to lead to the end of Israel. I mean, it could end, you know, end in them being obliterated. Uh, it's, it's only a tiny little, small little state and uh, they're surrounded by uh, very angry right now Arab neighbours, many of whom have uh, quite a fragile control from the United States. But quite obviously, what is happening is there's an attempt to start this. And I, I you know, we hear about. I, I mean, the the term Jews. Let's just forget that because the Zionists is what this is about. The idea of creating an Israeli state. And I'm actually not an anti-Zionist. I just think that the people who ha- who are have have um, put themselves in charge in Israel are maniacs. You know, the idea is I think we need to have like we do it in Britain and in many other countries. We need to have a proper opposition, and if they had a proper opposition, it wasn't all controlled their politics and their so-called sham democracy. Uh, that that you could have a brilliant, a beautiful state in Israel where everyone is living in harmony. So I've no problem with Jews going back. What I do have a problem with is the, you know, it's this far right people who've taken over. They're sort of squatting the word Jew and uh, using it for the most evil purposes possible known to man. So these, the, the religious side of it is so important, which is where we get back to, go back to 1871 and this, Albert Pike letter, um, which was written to Giuseppe Mazzini. Albert Pike was the grandmaster of, uh, of, of the Scottish Rite Freemasons in the United States. He was also a Confederate army officer. And I mean, if you if you look into who the Scottish Rite are, they're you know they're they're the most uh, shall we I don't know how, what's the right word occultic. 
uh, satanic. That uh, you know, th- this is it's Little Rock, Arkansas, is where you find the Albert Pike statue, and it's also Little Rock, Arkansas, is where we saw the Baphomet statue rolled out uh, a couple of years ago, where they said, "Oh, we, if you're going to have a picture of Jesus Christ in the um, uh, Capitol building, we're also, we're, you know, and they they're legally fighting for this. We also want a statue of Baphomet, you know, uh, which As is this, yeah, this te- uh, this Templar thing. So anyway, uh, the point being that the uh, the third world war he wanted to create that his his letter talks about three world wars the first world war was to destroy the ottomans and the british let the british take over the holy land then the second world war to allow for the creation of this crusader state uh, and the third world war was going to be that what he calls the nihilists who are these maniacal uh, far right racist uh, islamophobic nutter zionists uh, to have a war with the islamic world and the idea is to create such a hatred of religion, you know, to get the whole world to hate the Abrahamic faith, to try and blame them. And we saw a sort of similar thing in Northern Ireland. I keep coming back to this, where we had the Protestants versus the Catholics. And it wasn't really anything to do with the Protestant faith versus the Catholic faith. It was the the Protestant establishment, the Paisleys, etc., versus the largely secular IRA and uh, Sinn Féin, you know. So there's a real attempt to frame these things as religious conflicts with the idea ultimately to to get everybody um i suppose to i mean what the, what the, the letter actually says is to bring in a kind of new world luciferian religion as a result of everyone getting so annoyed with these faiths the whole thing being spun as a, a war between the faiths. so i think this albert pike letter is definitely worth looking at it's not 100 percent certain as to whether it's authentic uh, but there is a lot of articles, there's a lot of time and effort gone into the articles out there online, you'll find, to try and make uh, people think, oh, it's all a fake letter. Of course, it's very difficult to prove that it's a fake. And also, a lot of them are just wrong because they talk about uh, William Guy Carr's book, Pawns in the Game, being the only place where this is written about. It isn't. There's several other authors that wrote about and I've dug out some of this information myself just to, to, to show that it isn't just him and that these articles are actually wrong, that there was this letter in the uh, British Library uh, up until something like the 1970s, and it's now just disappeared, vanished. But it's a fascinating letter to read, and it seems to uh, it seems to uh, exactly reflect what we're seeing today. It's an attempt to create a religious war. Tony will pick it up next time, thisweek.org.uk, because I'm fascinated by that. And uh, Friday's at five o'clock in Bristol, not the BCFM politics show. Great stuff, pal. Thanks for coming on today can, and sharing that. Can I just that. plug my book briefly? As quick as you can, go ahead. So it's called The Traitors of Arnhem. It's, on, it's up there on eBay, and it shows, it proves beyond any shadow of a doubt uh, the links between the Nazis and Winston Churchill in 1944 and his private secretary, Martin Bormann, Hitler's private secretary, and Churchill's private secretary, Desmond Morton. And that the Nazi loot at the end of the war, all the money they'd taken, looting the whole of Europe, came to London. And uh, I won't spoil the story, but it's a, an interesting tale, and it's all connected up with Operation Market Garden and the origins of the Bilderberg conferences. It's ex- it's excellent. I've got it here. eBay is the Traders of Arnhem. Tony Gosling. Tony, thanks, pal. Speak again next time. Tony Gosling, live Fridays from Bristol, 5pm. It's an excellent programme weekly. Uh, go to thisweek.org.uk. Thanks so much to Tony. The time is exactly one minute past six. It's Wednesday's programme. 
You're with the Richie Allen Show. Coming up in a few minutes, Dr. Thomas Binder, live from Switzerland before that. Winter's on its way and so are colds, flu and other respiratory illness. <laughs> a robust immune system and vitamin D3 are your weapons in the fight to keep healthy when things get chilly. Immunex 365 vitamin capsules from NutraHealth 365 combine effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin to give your body that winter boost at just two capsules a day. Plus, for your peace of mind, all NutraHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Visit NutraHealth365.com now and get winter ready. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at RichieAllen.co.uk. Simon and Garfunkel and Mrs. Robinson on the Richie Allen Show. The time is four minutes past the hour of six o'clock here in the UK. My next guest, um, I'm very fond of him. We 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 spoke with him originally back in November of 2020 when I was stunned to learn that he had been locked up to be evaluated psychologically. Now, he's a cardiologist, by the way. He's a doctor, a specialist in heart medicine, right? And he was very well respected. He is very well respected. But he was critical of lockdown. And he was um, sceptical about rushing out a vaccine for COVID. And at the time, the authorities in his country, Switzerland, they determined that he could lock him up. And I was even more amazed when we spoke afterwards, after he had, you know, come out and began to, to rebuild his life again, at how, I suppose, how philosophical he was about this experience. He's worked, I think, day and night over the last three years to raise awareness about the dangers of the COVID jab rollout around the world and the problems with it, particularly, of course, as it relates to the heart. He suffered a bit of censorship, to say the least. He's been heavily censored because of this, but um, he continues. It doesn't stop him. Let's welcome back to the programme Dr. Thomas Binder. Thomas, welcome back. How are you? Hi, Richie. Thank you. I'm fine. Thanks for having me again. Oh, it's really good to have you again. The censorship, by the way. That's a real problem, isn't it? It doesn't stop. It's a, it's a daily thing, battling with, uh, with Twitter and, and Facebook and, and other platforms. But you continue anyway. You don't give up. Yeah, well, I was banned in Twitter from March 2021 to January this year. And I mean, I, I'm not a fan of Elon Musk, of course. Of course, he's part of this agenda. But still, I mean, it's it's rather amazing that he allowed all us uh, early uh, enlighteners, if you like, to to come back and 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 actually, although our 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 uh, our reach is restricted in in Twitter, uh, hugely restricted, there is at least free speech, and and I can I can treat whatever I like about uh, COVID, about the Israel Palestine conflict, about whatever, and I never got uh, banned again. So uh, yeah. The, there's something interesting happened. Do, do you wonder or do you worry that Musk is no fool and that by bringing back the enlighteners, as you said, it's a great term, I like it, that what he's really doing is just keeping an eye on you, Thomas, you and others, keeping you all in the one place where we can keep a careful eye, a careful watch on what it is you're doing? Or am I being a bit too sceptical? 
This absolutely. I mean, this is the best. Uh, uh, the best uh, possibility you have to to study all who is connected with whom and all this. Of course, we are analyzed. Our connections are analyzed. But well, uh, yes, of course, of course. This this is what what this is an intention. And I mean, uh, there is always the threat that he can uh, reassemble us all in Twitter, and from one day and all of another to another, we are all banned again. And and uh, so it's important that we are active also in other on other platforms that we have our home pages that we are connected by email and in real life, of course. When you look yeah. back, when you look back over the last three years, it must. I mean, listeners contact me, and they say they feel like they're in a state of shock three years later, where it feels that things are obviously, it, it, on the face of it, it might look like things are back to normal, that we're back to where we were in 2019. Some people might think this, but, but, but they say they're shocked at what happened and it's taken them some time to kind of adjust to the reality that governments actually did these things. They shut down society they threatened people with this jab. How do you feel about all of that looking back now? Do you feel sometimes, Thomas, a sense of shock that it actually happened and that it might even happen again? Yes, I mean, of course, I, I was never a fan of politicians. I always knew that they are mainly self-interest, but still uh, they uh, I thought they are a little bit interested also in the common good, uh, especially as they must be re-elected. And I, of course, it was painful for everyone of us to, to realize that our own government is obviously waging war against its own populace. I mean, in each and every country, we had to learn this. And I mean, maybe the people in in Eastern Eastern Europe, they remind they re reminded uh, the, the Soviet uh, regime and or or, or, P, or the people in in Eastern Germany, the GDR, and but in Switzerland, imagine Heidi Land, huh? the the freest, the best democracy on this planet. Uh, for for Switzerland, for Swiss people, it is hard to swallow that that the government is waging war against us. And this is. What we all have to learn from this COVID crime against humanity. And once we have learned this, of course, we know that everything important that is told to us by our government and spread by their pop and mouthpiece legacy media is false until proven otherwise. So this makes this makes navigating in this world rather easy because the world is upside down so if they if they shout virus 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 test 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 ventilate 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 vaccinate 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 russia 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 40 beheaded babies we, we immediately know uh, something is for sure it is wrong take yeah the, the starting point should be they're telling lies um it's a lie until proven otherwise that's my philosophy. Dr. Thomas Binder is our guest. Now let's talk about something very serious. You're a cardiologist and you've practiced medicine for years. I know there are people listening to this program. I know this because I've been speaking to them. They've had COVID jabs and in some cases they plan to have a COVID booster 
this winter. This is true. These are people I meet on my travels around Manchester and Salford, okay? Now, I don't know exactly which jab they'll be offered, whether they'll be offered a Pfizer jab or a Moderna. I do not know. But I have advised them. I've advised them, look, I'm no doctor. I'm no cardiologist. I'm a very simple radio presenter. But you need to listen to people like Dr. Thomas Binder and other other people like that. So I want you, a cardiologist, an eminent man, to talk to people from Switzerland. What do they need to know about going for a booster shot and why might it be maybe the smart, not the smartest thing they ever do. Talk to people who might be going to have a booster. Well, in September, on September 20th, I managed to get a letter published, a letter to the editor published in the Swiss Medical Journal. This is the official publication organ of the Swiss Medical Association. You can find it in my Twitter thread. I translated it in English as well. And there I explained why the entire mRNA vaccine platform must be banned immediately so that also lay people can understand. I mean, it starts with the the problem that the the doctors who inject these uh, poisons uh, which are the construction plan for the production of a of a protein foreign to the body, a, a so-called prodrug, without having any control over which cells express it at what dose and for how long. So in the 16th century, they lived a guy uh, called Paracelsus, and he said it's the dose alone that makes a thing a poison or not a poison. So already because the effective dose of the expressed foreign protein is unknown and varies greatly between individuals, these mRNA vaccines should never have been approved. Imagine would anybody take a sleeping pill if he didn't know whether it contains the normal dose or 100 times this dose, 100 times this dose. It's that simple. Already because of this, they should never have been approved. And then the cells who express and present this protein foreign to the body on their surface are recognized by our immune system as foreign. Our white blood cells are policing around. They see these cells and they think, oh, an alien, they attack him and destroy those cells. And if these are heart muscle cells, you get myocarditis. If if these are brain cells, you got uh, encephalitis and so on and so forth. And these cells cannot regenerate. This would not be a problem if the skeletal muscle cells of the upper arm would only express it, as it was told by many experts for a long time. But these lipid nanoparticles who contain this mRNA can enter any cell, even the cells of heart, brain, embryo, and fetus. And then the dose is horrendous. The vaccine kills many cells of our body. And the worst is that then the antigen and the lipid nanoparticles themselves are toxic. And now, some months ago, Kevin McKernan, a a great uh, guy in PCR in microbiology, found that there is contamination even with DNA from the manufacturing process. So we get we do not only inject mRNA, but also DNA that maybe could also be integrated into into our genome and maybe even inherited to offspring. There are 
101 reasons why these vaccines are useless. And another reason is the virus is a cold virus. It never was more dangerous than influenza for the general population. It became ever less dangerous. Now it's just a cold virus. You, we, we never needed a vaccine against cold virus. Well, now I was talking a little bit for a little bit much. But, uh, no, this is good. This is very, very good. So, so go to this. There is a link. There is a link in Twitter. Maybe you can put it and also uh, in, in your uh, in the places where you publish this. That that leads to the Swiss Medical Journal. There are two letters to the editor. One was published three years ago. There I explained this RT-PCR testing pandemic. Then I was censored by them for three years. And now, interestingly, they published this letter. I almost got a heart attack when I realized they published it. No it's, pun. it's really amazing. No pun intended. It has millions of views. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and you wonder why. There must be some good people still uh, trying to do good work. So, so when I am asked by people, why do some people develop brain injuries or heart injuries or, or even cancers? and others do not. Is that because of the answer you gave a moment ago, because of the dosage? Is that right? Well, it starts with the vials. Obviously, the content, the manufacturing is so bad that the contents of the vials is not always the same. The amount of intact mRNA, the amount of contamination with DNA differs from batch to batch. And then there are, of course, there are, are different injection techniques. If they do not aspirate when injecting into the muscle, there might be in some patients direct intravenous injection. Then uh, there are biological differences between humans. For example, elderly people and, and, and youngsters uh, do not work exactly the same. There are many, and, and then of course, yeah, how, how many, um, how many uh, cells really are destroyed? What we know from the great work by Denis Rancourt, a Canadian, uh, not, physi uh, not physician, but physicist, but who analyzed the excess mortality, the only reliable data in such a testing pandemic, we know that, that the, the risk of the injections increases with exponentially with age, uh, with a doubling about every five years. The problem is, of course, we, we, we diagnose myocarditis mainly in youngsters, but this is not because it's more common in youngsters. It's more prevalent, but when an, when an 85-year-old dies suddenly, we say, oh, well, he died from myocardial infarction, so his myocarditis is not diagnosed. I'm absolutely sure that uh, also the elderly people have myocarditis highly likely more than, than, than uh, youngsters also. You're listening to Dr. Thomas Binder. He's on Twitter. Follow him, please. It is at Thomas underscore Binder. Follow him now. And I will grab those links to the letters later. And I will put them on the podcast notes. Can you help me explain something? Or can you do the explaining? You will have learned in three years that the independent media is a bit of a minefield. There are a lot of, there is a lot of crap in the independent media. There are a lot of dark actors who put out information 
that is hard to substantiate. And it, it sometimes it, what it does is it's meant to distract away from people like you. So I read all the time about excess death numbers in Ireland, in Switzerland, in America. What is your understanding, Thomas, about how excess death numbers in societies, in countries, have increased or changed in recent years? And can you explain exactly what does the term excess death mean? What does it mean exactly? Well, excess deaths are deaths that are not expected. Huh? There is a usual number of people dying every day, every week, every year. In the winter, some more than in the summer, in the northern latitudes, in, in, the, in the southern hemisphere, the, the, the other way around. On the equator, there is no such undulation. And this excess mortality in winter is usually due to acute uh, respiratory infections. There was an influenza scam as well. All these acute respiratory infections were attributed to influenza that was not tested for to sell the the uh, influenza jab that uh, is also useless, but highly dangerous. And what we see, and really this the work by Denis Rancourt, I think he's the best. He started from day one. He realized the only hard data are deaths. Huh? These case numbers we can forget. The test is is good for nothing. Rolling a dice will be cheaper and less invasive. And for example, he, he, he can show that in Canada, there was no excess mortality until the vaccine started, or the same in Australia. While in the USA, in, in March, April, there was a huge peak of excess mortality. Although Canada and USA share a border of about 4,000 kilometers or so, and the virus doesn't carry a passport, so it, it crosses the, the borders. So already this is the proof that the killer was not the virus, but our paradoxical reaction to the virus that was mainly appropriate everywhere, but still differed somewhat from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And he, he uh, in his latest study, for example, he analyzed 17 or so countries from the Southern Hemisphere, and he uh, estimated uh, a total death uh, number of 17 million worldwide. I repeat, 17 million worldwide. Basically, you can divide the population number of your country by about 470, and you get a rough estimate of those killed. So, well, in the UK, how many people? 65 million or so, maybe? Yeah. 67, that would, yeah. yeah, that would maybe give about 140,000 vaccine deaths without any proof that they saved even one single life. It's it's an absolute health disaster. It's a genocide. It's a medical disaster of unprecedented proportions. I've got to and jump this. in there now, Dr. Thomas Spinder. I've got to jump in, but won't won't. So he's attributing the excess deaths. Um, numbers to the vaccine but isn't it true that some of those excess deaths can be explained by the fact that people were not treated for other things that were scary during 2020 and 2021 and if they had been treated they might still be alive so how do we know which people died because of the jab and which died because they were ignored by the health service 
Of course, yes. But as I mentioned, there are countries, for example, Australia, where there was, absolute, was absolutely no excess mortality before the jabs were rolled out. Do you mean, sorry, and, can I just interrupt? My apologies for doing this now. When you say there was no excess mortality, do you mean that the excess mortality had stayed the same for a number of years? Yeah, Is that what exactly. you mean? It stayed the same, obviously, okay. Obviously yeah. in Australia, the, the measures, well, it's it's maybe many people live in the countryside. It's not the same whether you are locked in in Australia or in uh, in, 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 uh, in uh, Madrid, a uh, family of six in a two-room flat. Uh, this this causes more stress, etc. Obviously, for some reason, they, they did not kill people with uh, wrong treatment, lockdown, uh, locking up elderly people, etc. There are some countries like this, and well, he he doesn't actually prove that 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 the vaccines are the cause, but he shows an absolute correlation of these of of the the chaps with this excess mortality. But then we have the proof, the medical proof. There are thousands of studies of peer-reviewed studies, even published and peer-reviewed, that prove all these side effects. And yeah. there was a German pathologist, Arne Burkhardt, who examined those people as, as the first one on this planet. Unfortunately, he died some months ago. We, we have also the medical proof that uh, why, uh, I explained, it's, it's based, they kill especially by this autoimmune attack on the cells who present then this foreign protein. And the spike protein, for example, itself is toxic, but the main killer is this, uh, this uh, autoimmune attack. And this gets also worse with every chap, because with every chap, the immune system gets more training. So after the next chap, more cells are destroyed. You can imagine it's just like a, a shotgun at your body that kills maybe one in 100,000 cells in one person and one in 100 cells in another person and in, in one mainly cells of the heart, in another one mainly cells of the brain. But this is not what we would expect from a vaccine. I remember back in the spring of 2021, I interviewed somebody who'd worked in a care home and said that because people in care homes were given the jabs in January of 2021, a number of care homes here in the UK, it was announced that they'd seen, you know, unprecedented numbers of deaths, basically. Elderly people dying. And these were people who got the very first jabs in, in January of 2021. I remember this vividly. Our listeners are asking me some questions. Uh, Thomas, if I can put them to you. Julie has an excellent question. Julie says, what does Dr. Binder mean about contamination of DNA in the vaccines? This is really a good question. I know you've answered this before, but if you can explain this in layman terms for, for idiots like me, Thomas, what do you mean about contamination of DNA in the jabs exactly? The problem is that this DNA, this is... Uh plasmid DNA. So this comes from the manufacturing process. This is another scandal as well. The, the Pfizer and highly likely also Moderna, I'm not that sure there, they fundamentally changed the manufacturing process from the prototype production for these uh, uh, pivotal trials to, to, the, to the production of billions of doses. 
And there, Escherichia coli bacteria pro, uh, multiply this DNA that encodes for the spike protein. And then this is uh, translated into mRNA. And then this DNA must, of course, be filtered away. This must be cleared, uh, cleaned. And obviously, this does not work. Uh, perfect. So there is a huge of contamination with DNA that also encodes this spike protein. And, and this, even if it's not integrated into the genome, this plasmid DNA, that's a kind of bacterial chromosomes, can live in our cells forever. So, so, so people who have this can produce the spike protein for their whole life. And then the other question is, Will it be integrated into the genome and inherited to, to the to the offspring? Highly likely, this at least is theoretically possible. This is whether proven or ruled out yet, but there is a danger, of course. And but, well, yeah. And that DNA then, that foreign DNA that was created in the manufacturing process, it the man the manufacturers must know that it is impossible to know what this means for the recipient. It could be terribly dangerous, couldn't it? It might be something terrible for the patient, having this foreign DNA presence in his or her body, right? Well, the, the manufacturers must have known that, they must it is, know. yeah. that it is useless to vaccinate against the cold virus and that, that, that to use this mRNA platform is, is totally insane. I mean, they cannot be all that stupid there. What I explained to you for her, so that so, uh, before, so that every lay people can understand what I wrote in this letter to the editor of the Swiss Medical Journal. I mean, can anybody? Nobody shall tell me that no one uh, in this uh, in this pharmaceutical industry, in the government, in the health authorities, etc., knows this. I mean, this will mean I and maybe some colleagues. We are absolute geniuses, and everybody else is a is a complete moron. Of course, there are many complete morons around, but but uh, but but not everybody. So they they knew exactly what would happen. All this was done intentionally. This is what I want to tell the people. The people must realize this was done intentional. Do you know it how difficult intentional though? Intentional genocide. Yeah. This is the thing, right? Because you're a man of medicine. This isn't um, my attempt to to patronize you, you know, like you'd patronize your grandfather or your uncle. I'm not doing that. But you're a smart man. You know that the vast majority of people who hear the claim that COVID and the jabs were a genocide, they can't comprehend this, Thomas. They People can't get their heads adjusted to take that in. You, you must understand this. Yes, of course I do understand this. I mean, I... I, I realized this from the start. I could explain in March 2020 that this whole corona narrative is utter nonsense. And after an hour, the, my colleague said, yeah, well, uh, yeah, sounds reasonable. But I, I simply refuse to believe that such evil people do exist. This is the problem. Most people cannot imagine that such evil people exist. But then I answer, well, do you re do you seriously believe that the Hitlers, the Maoists, the Stalins died out? Hey, they still exist. Nowadays, they have different names. They are called Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, and, and, and Fawcy, Drosten, or whoever. Whoever they still exist, these are psychopaths. 
amongst us, 98% sheep are leaving about 2% wolves. And the most dangerous of the wolves, of course, the wolves in sheep clothing. The people on our alleged own sides are the most dangerous because we, we believe them. So we believe our government. Yeah, maybe the Russian government or the American government or the UK government, but my Swiss government, they, they take care of me. These are my father and mother, so they, they care for me like a child. And we have to grow up and to realize that this obviously is not the case. It's a painful experience, but we must learn this. And once we have overcome our ideology and learned this, then we can see what's happening in the world. Also, for example, in this Israel-Palestine conflict. It is a painful reality, isn't it, when it dawns? For me, it was some years ago. It is very difficult to deal with. Dr. Thomas Binder is our guest. The questions and the comments are coming in. A lot of complimentary messages for you for having the courage, Thomas, to do what you did and to continue to do what you do today. And I know you're not in it. You're not in it for the praise or for the fame. I know that. But it's nice. There's a lot of love for you tonight. Here's one from Kim. Kim says, Richie, Many members of my family of all ages received the jab and some boosters. Could you please ask Dr. Thomas, what are the symptoms to watch out for that might suggest vaccine damages, please? That's a difficult one. Well, you can speak about, as a kind of, as a cardiologist, maybe you can speak about the heart, but you can speak generally. Is there anything you can watch in the jab that you can look out for? Yeah, as I as I told, it is basically it's a shotgun on your body and it can kill any cell. So it can produce any disease and it can worsen any disease. What I see a lot is that people with pre-existing diseases that are more or less compensated, that, that this, this disease is getting worse. And then there is there are the short-term effects. These are mostly cardiovascular. So myocardial infarction, stroke, pulmonary embolism thrombosis of the, of the, the legs, myocarditis, of course, and there are more, there are the long-term complications. These are mostly autoimmune disorders. So, uh, for example, lupus that, that accelerates or, or, or appears newly, and then, of course, cancer. I in, in my practice, I think the number of Acute cardiovascular side effects goes down because not many people take another jab now. In Switzerland, less than 2% got another shot now. But we see the long-term long -term effects, and these are mainly cancer. I mean, it's incredible. We see breast cancer in 30-year-old 30, 30 women. I had just last week, I had a 89-year-old Nice, kind lady in good condition, very good condition for her age. She, she had breast cancer 21 years ago. Absolutely no recurrence for 21 years. In the last October, she got the fourth jab and she presented some weeks ago with breast cancer in, at end stage. It's really, we see these, some people call it turbo cancers. Really, we see very rapid causes of new cancers or or worsening of, of stable cancers, this we see on a daily basis now. It's, it's, it's incredible, it's incredible. And I, I don't know when this will ever stop. And but still, we should not become desperate. I always say, we must also give some hope. And I say, with these chaps, it's a little bit like with smoking, it's almost never 
too late to give it up. At least stop it now. Don't take, take another, no, don't get another jab. And maybe you can live healthier. And then maybe with all this, you can bring back your risk that is increased with the jabs to, to the risk that was before. Roger has been on to say, I think most of us have forgotten the jabs were emergency approved, which isn't the same as being fully approved. And Roger asks, are all of the boosters emergency approved too? Or do they come under that initial? Are they covered by that initial emergency approval? That's a good question. What do you reckon, Thomas? Yes, I mean, it's everything is criminal in this whole approval, of course. I mean, we sent in Switzerland, we sent already in spring, summer 21, uh, a letter to, to the Swiss regulator for drugs and vaccines, Swiss Medic, where we explained that they, the vaccines are proven to be unsafe, they were proven to be ineffective before their emergency use authorization. It was criminal to authorize them. And now these these new these new uh, versions against the new uh, variants they they were tested in 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 maybe eight mice and maybe in one hundred people they are just looking whether they induce some antibody response but this is not uh, this doesn't say that they are working and especially they they do not this does not prove that they are safe it's. It's a criminal, it's it's a crime of global proportion. Yeah. Just just refuse it, don't take it. I mean, they can they can approve whatever drug or vaccine they want if we if we refuse it. Uh, this is the most important that we refuse it. If nobody takes the chaps, it is not important when they approve them again. I worry that as we move to a cashless society as everything goes online and as everything is controlled by the smartphone in, in your hand is that it might become easier in the future for them to compel people to take any medicine, not necessarily just vaccines, anything they want us to take, you know taking certain medicines in the future might be your path to participation in society that's something we've got to watch out too, right, because presumably because of what you said earlier on, you can see that there are five or six different agendas that to some people they might look like separate agendas, but in fact they're all playing into the same central agenda. Is that fair to say? Absolutely, yes. Of course, it's about global control. It's about global control of of Mr. Global, Masters of the Universe, globalists, however you want to call them of the whole empathetic humanity. And of course, if they, if we do not obey, there will be a social credit system. If we do not obey, suddenly there, there, there comes no more money out of our, of our smartphone. I mean, this is so simple, but we can, we must, we, we may, we must refuse to obey. Uh, we must use civil disobedience. For example, I pay whenever possible. I pay cash. I was in a bakery last week. They said, "Oh, no more, no more cash allowed." I said, "Okay, I will go to another bakery." Huh? I mean, this, we have power. If twenty, if only twenty percent of the people boycott such uh, such institutions, for example, who do not accept cash. We have we have a, we have a huge influence. And if they come up with with masks again another chap again, etc. 
do not comply. If 20% stay up, stand up and say, hey, come on with this bullshit. I, I will not comply with this bullshit. Then, then, then we can we can end this. We must know this is too big to fail. All institutions co colluded in this crime. No institution will help us, will save us. Only we all together can save us by simply saying no. Just say no. Just say no. Just say no. It is actually as simple as that. Cliff asks, would you please ask Dr. Binder, is he aware of any method? to attempt to detox from the jabs, like if they're in your system? And if so, have these methods been successful? There, there are a lot of people who have got buyer's remorse, Thomas, and we do feel really sorry for them. They were duped, but now they are awake. They understand they shouldn't have any more, but they are worried about the jabs they've already had. And can they detox? Is there anything they can do that you're aware of? Yeah, well, this is a this is a complicated question. As I said, there are different modes of toxic actions, and I guess the main toxic action is this autoimmune attack on the antigen presenting and and uh, cells. Uh, well, there are people around to make also money. Huh? I mean, for example, some people say, "Ah, oh, it's the spike. It's about the spike." Huh? So they offer something to make detoxification of the spike protein. Maybe they work, but I, I don't think the spike is the spike is toxic. But I don't think it's the main toxic uh, agent. So I, I do not sell anything because I, I I would never sell anything because if I would earn some money, I would become partisan. This, then I could not see the things clear again. I would have some self-interest. So people who sell such stuff, I see rather critical. I don't think there is a solution for all. You must find a good doctor. I guess in all countries nowadays, there is a network of doctors like me where you can call or write an email uh, to whether, whether there is a doctor in your surroundings that is on our side. and go there and discuss it with him. Each and every patient must be must be examined and treated individually. There is not one solution for everybody. Something I'd like to talk about for five minutes before we run out of time. Thanks for coming back, Thomas. I have a lot of time for you. I really do. Uh, you know, when we went through all of that in 2020, 2021, my conversation with you in November 2020 stands out above any other because it was so crazy. It was so crazy that they locked you up because you were talking about these things and, you know, thankfully you were able to overcome that and you're doing what you're doing. But something that struck me, I put out a tweet a couple of weeks back, you know, it was about, um, it was about Israelis because I, I know some Israelis. I know a few actually and I know a lot of Jewish people here in the UK and none of them support the Israeli government genocide in Gaza. None of them do. And they shouldn't be criticised. Um, they don't support their government. Our government does ter terrible things here, but I'm not responsible for it. But anyway, something that I noticed, and you'd been saying the same thing, Israelis should know that their government, they should fear their government as much as the Palestinians should fear the Israeli government because of what the Israelis did to their own people, with the vaccine rollout, isn't that right? And the, and the vaccine passports, wasn't Israel the first country to roll out the Green Pass? 
where they told people you don't get to go to the cinema if you haven't had a jab. So the Israelis have a lot to fear, don't they, when it comes to their own government? Absolutely. I mean, this amazed me. They were free, they were enlighteners on our side. But when they when they saw pictures of killed Israelis, they fell back into their infantile state, into their ideology, and they many many doctors blocked me. For example, it was absolutely amazing. But I stay as I stated. I as a Swiss had to learn that my most severe enemy is my whole government, and the Israelis must learn this as well. The, the, the enemy of the Israeli, the worst enemy of the Israelis and the Palestinians is their own government. And as you mentioned, they were the first to roll out these vaccines. I mean, imagine it, 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 it was like this. So Turkish immigrants huh, invented in Germany these deadly poisons that were forcibly administered to the Israeli populace by a Jewish CEO called Albert Bourla and Bola. the Israeli government in breaching the Nuremberg Code. Hmm? Let that sink in. Of all the governments oh, in the world. In. I mean, this, what, what could be more anti-Semitic than this? Honestly? So the, the worst anti-Semites are not Muslims. The worst anti-Semites are the wolves in sheep clothing, the wolves in Jewish sheep clothing, the extreme. I want to mention extreme, but because there are also good Zionists, extreme Zionists are the worst enemies of the Israelis. I mean, it's absolutely no doubt that this was a false flag terrorist attack. It's absolutely impossible that the best army on this planet and the best intelligence service on this planet could have been overcome by a few hundred Hamas fighters. This is absolutely impossible. And many former IDF members uh, agree with this. They say also it is impossible. The, the Israeli government knew at least what would happen or it made it happen. And so so you must imagine the Zionist government, the extreme Zionist government, killed Israelis as a pretext to complete the ethnic cleansing of Gaza. Now I know, I, I know those IDF former soldiers have expressed skepticism, as you've said there, but I've got to do my job. The Israeli government says we did not have anything to do with the attack on over October 7th. We were surprised our trousers was down and um, that's the way it was. I've just got to put that out there because that's what they say. I'm like yourself. I'm I'm a bit sceptical about how they could not do anything for six hours. I've got a big problem with that, too. But I suppose we'll we'll never really know. And um, well, we know what the consequences are, don't we? Gaza is being flattened again. And um, maybe at the end of it, maybe tens of thousands of Palestinians will be dead. It's shocking and it's disgusting and disgraceful. And I share that um, sentiment with you, Thomas. C can I ask you, um, just before we do go, if you send me a private message with a link to the letters that were in the Swiss Medical Journal, I will be sure and post uh, those links on the podcast notes, which the podcast will be on online in about 40 minutes. If you don't mind doing that. Yeah, sure. Of course. 
and it's a pleasure. Thanks. It's a pleasure to have you back on. It really is. So, folks, uh, it's at Thomas underscore Binder on Twitter. At Thomas underscore Binder. Thomas, I'll give you the final word. I always do with my guests before we um, part company today. Thirty seconds. Final word to you. What would you like to say? So maybe some people misunderstood what I told before. I'm. A, I love all empathetic humans. I love all Israelis. I love all Palestinians. But I. But I am an enemy of the psychopaths. The psychopaths, they come in Swiss clothing, in Muslim clothing, in Jewish, Jewish clothing. And the, the most dangerous psychopaths, our most dangerous enemies are those allegedly on our own side. Please, people in Israel, people in, in Palestine, realize that there is a role model for you, namely the other Settler, colonialist, apartheid state, South Africa, what they did in 1990, you can do in 2023. Just throw away, send your governments on both sides, the psychopaths into Norland, uh, shake hands, hug, make peace and live together in a beautiful, flourishing country called Israel, Palestine, or however you want to call it. Beautiful stuff, Thomas. Thank you so much for that and continued success to you and to yours. I look forward to next time. Thank you, Thomas. I thank you, Richie. And bye for now. Dr. Thomas Binder, Swiss cardiologist. Follow him on Twitter, please. I'm sure you already are. It's uh, Thomas underscore Binder. Great to have him back on the programme tonight. The time is coming up now for 12 minutes to the top of the hour or it's just about there. I'll be back with you in a moment to read some of your comments. Winter's on its way, and so are colds, flu, and other respiratory illness. <laughs> a robust immune system and vitamin D3 are your weapons in the fight to keep healthy when things get chilly. Immunex 365 vitamin capsules from NutraHealth 365 combine effective levels of vitamins D3, C, and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin to give your body that winter boost at just two capsules a day. Plus, for your peace of mind, all NutraHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Visit NutraHealth365.com now and get winter ready. You're listening to your Richie Allen show on RichieAllen.co.uk Yeah, I really love that guy Thomas Binder. Remember that back in November of 2020. It happened twice on this programme, didn't it? It happened twice. One, one of the most bizarre occurrences of... Um, of the last few years, was receiving a Facebook message from a lovely woman who told me she was texting me on Facebook from the inside of a mental hospital that she'd been sectioned, which is, um, if you're not from the UK, it means that you've been taken to a psychological, you've been taken to a hospital to be psychologically evaluated. And uh, the what, what, what had actually happened, I'm this lady's name now, will come to my mind in a moment because I stayed in touch with her just for a little while afterwards. But then we kind of lost touch. But she was brilliant. She was very philosophical, very funny about it. Her name will come to me in a moment. It um, was one of the most viral, I hate these terms, but I suppose everybody's using them now. One of the most viral interviews we ever did on the Richie Allen show. She'd been to see her doctor and had spoken to her doctor about her concerns about vaccines and things. And she'd done this in a pretty lucid, pretty, you know, roundabout way. But the doctor had been very cynical in the office. 
So in the office, the doctor said, ah, will you give over? I'm a doctor. I know more than you. So she went home and she found some material. And she got the material now, not from, you know, the truce or industrial complex. She got it from reputable doctors. And she sent the information to her own doctor, having spoken to her doctor face to face, as I just said. And her own doctor managed to get her sectioned. It's the most one of the most bizarre things. I found myself, you know, I, I, I'm not saying this now for sympathy. You know, I work alone, right? So I found myself phoning the hospital to confirm that I wasn't being stitched up, that she, in actual fact, was a real person, and that in actual fact she was um, there and she was there under duress. <laughs> and I rang the hospital a couple of times. I didn't get anywhere. And then I blagged that I rang the hospital and pretended to be her brother and said, like, um, put me in touch with her. So they did. They'd somehow managed to block her from taking phone calls, but not from going on social media, which is kind of, I don't know how they managed to do that, but as uh, they did in any case, or maybe she didn't have the service. But anyway, yeah, um, what was the lady? Suzanne was her name, Suzanne. It was just a crazy thing. I remember thinking, her doctor got her sectioned because she has opinions about vaccines and about medicines and about big pharma. That's the world, yeah. Jenny's been on to say on the website, Hi Jenny, this was or that was a favourite tactic of Stalin, putting his critics in mental hospitals. Thanks for having Dr Binder back, says Jenny. You're welcome, Jenny. Very good. John says that Dr Malik has spoken on his podcast with someone who was involved in the pharmaceutical supply chain and he was saying the rubbish studies uh, were for one reason or sorry the rubbish studies were for one version of the jab than the one I can't read that out John you make me laugh you people you're not listening to me you're not listening now I'm nearly eight weeks in after the summer recess eight weeks in a row this is getting on my tits now I want you to read out loud before you press send (laughs) Or I'm going to come around your house and beat the granny out of you. Annette says, Richie, would you ask Thomas, we can't know, but if it's true the Swiss government is sending out iodine pills to all of its citizens, is that right? Where did you read that, Annette? I wouldn't be surprised. This will be, of course, in response to the tension in the Middle East. Let's give them iodine tablets. I mean, mean, that's laughable. Iodine tablets. So if somebody releases a nuclear weapon, Kiss your arse goodbye. Forget about taking an iodine tablet because it's not going to do you any good at all. Not in the least bit. Not going to do you any good. Calm down with the iodine tablets, you know. Back during the 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 weeks after September the 11th, 2001, the Irish government adopted a programme where it was going to send iodine tablets to every household in Ireland. This was the fear-mongering going on in the wake of September the 11th. This was the bullshit. And, and I have to say, mea culpa, I joined in because I was working for the mainstream media. I remember interviewing a politician and roasting him because the iodine tablet, uh, the iodine tablet rollout hadn't happened quickly enough. Guy called um, real scumbag, Martin Cullen was his name, Waterford, real dirtbag. I remember grilling him because we didn't have enough iodine tablets. In case Al-Qaeda dropped a nuclear weapon in Ireland. (laughs) 
those were the times. And those were the journalists. Thankfully, I wised up. Thankfully, I wised up. Anne says, Thomas Binder is brilliant. I agree with everything he said, particularly about the Middle East situation. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. Appreciate that. Okie doke. Yeah, that was me back in the day. Yeah. Take your iodine tablets just in case. Al-Qaeda. Just in case Osama bin Laden smuggles a nuclear weapon into Ballybeg in Waterford and detonates it. Absolutely. And he would do £200 million worth of improvements. It's the oldest, oldest gag in the world, that, isn't it? Thank you for your messages. I'm back with you tomorrow at 5 o'clock UK time for Thursday's Richie Allen Show. I'm a little bit breathless now. I've had a chest infection for about two weeks, but it hasn't gone... It hasn't gone peat tong. Do you understand what I mean by that? It hasn't embedded, which is a good sign. It means I'm elfy. I'm elfy at the moment. But I am a bit uh, coffee and I'm a bit out of breath. But I'll be all right. I'll be fine. Five miles tomorrow in the freezing cold. That'll put hairs on me chest, dear listener. I think I'm going to close out of the programme today with uh, music from uh, The Clash. I want to thank again Tony Gosling for coming on the programme. Go to thisweek.org.uk. Go to eBay for The Traitors of Arnhem, which is a really good book, Tony. I don't mind him plugging it. It's a bloody good book. And he doesn't take a fee. Nobody takes a fee on this programme. You're not getting paid to talk to me. Talking to me is its own reward, says the BBG. Right, what else did I want to say? I wanted to say thanks to Thomas Binder, uh, Dr. Thomas Binder. His um, website, his, sorry, his Twitter handle is at Thomas underscore Binder. That is at Thomas underscore Binder. Give him a follow. Say hello to him. Thank him for all the good work he's done in the last three years because uh, we need a few more like him, I think, uh, going forward. As I said, as I promised, it is music from The Clash closing out the programme. From your BBG, it's bye for now.